Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of the Publisher Lab. I'm Tyler Bishop and today I have joining with me Ron Stefanski. Uh, did I say that right, Ron? Is that yes, you did. Yes, you did. Yeah, and most people don't, so that was good. Awesome. Well, uh, we were talking before the podcast started. We're both from the Midwest. Uh, you obviously supporting your Chicago Bears hat there. Uh, other than being a Bears fan, what can you tell uh, our audience a little bit more uh, about kind of your expertise and, and what you do in this space if they're not familiar with you and, and uh, the One Hour Professor, which is uh, your brand? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I basically at this point have a portfolio of, I believe it's seven different websites at this point. I actually have to think about it because I have quite a few. So I have that um, and I have a full team that basically supports me with my websites, helps us with uh, everything I need, writing, editing, copywriting. So I focus on that mainly. I also teach um, as an adjunct professor part-time at three different colleges. When they have you know courses available, I do that. Um, and then my personal brand, One Hour Professor, I've actually been, I mean, since the beginning. Uh, this has been just over five years at this point. Since the beginning, I've been there. I've always been blogging there and that sort of thing. Um, and now, well, I do income reports there, like the old Pat Flynn model. He had done that, so I've been doing that. And also uh, just started doing um, like YouTube and getting more into YouTube with One Hour Professor as well. So, And you mentioned a lot of different aspects of basically uh, different types of online publishing, online businesses. And one of the things that I think is really interesting about your history and, and your position also as uh, someone that's a professor teaching classes is just your experience in digital marketing as a whole. And so... Um, talk about an industry that's changed a lot over the last uh, decade. What, what principles would you say have maybe stayed the same or what types of strategies have you seen over the last 10 years or so actually not change as much, but things that you've seen um, how continue to be successful for people that uh, work in the digital space? Yeah, for me, I would say that when you were talking about it, the first thing that came to mind is just the idea of uh, quality and making sure that you're creating quality content. I mean, there was a time, you know, it really does change uh, very drastically over time, but there was a time when, you know, you could just push out the quantity and, you know, not really focus too much on it, push everything out, and then you were getting traffic and all that. But what inevitably continues to happen is every time people are taking shortcuts, it comes back and then their website gets penalized and things like that continue to happen with time over and over. So the thing that I've always stuck to is, you know, not doing the black hat link building stuff, uh, keeping everything high quality and just trying to be on the up and up. I think taking that approach and building, truly building a business is a much better approach than trying to take shortcuts or do anything else with that. So for me, that's really been the biggest thing. And I mean, you know, we, I mostly make my income from display ads. Um, and from that, you know, that vantage point, it's just about creating valuable content, you know, overall that people are going to come to the search engines end up ranking it because it is high quality. People come to it and you just keep making money that way. So for me, that's been the biggest thing is just always focusing on quality, the content itself, or making sure that where I'm getting links and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think you, you honed in on something that I think is really important, which is the, the content quality being really important. And I think you actually gave a pretty good broad definition of what that looks like as well. And so I'll ask you kind of maybe a more pointed or detailed question about that. So if, if someone is starting and, and essentially building out uh, a site or they're developing a new site and they're saying, I think I, I know the direction that I want to go. I have a subject or a niche or a category of site that I want to build. Uh, how would they go about designing you know, quality content? Should they focus on video? Should they focus on answering questions, long form, short form? You know, how would you go about like, making those decisions? 
Yeah, so for me, one of the biggest things, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of answering questions, specifically answering questions, because a big thing that people say, especially when you're starting out, is, hey, you need to figure out the demand for what you're trying to do. And people are like, well, you can test it. You know, there's all these different ways. I remember for our work, we, he was talking about the idea of advertising on Google and, and doing things that way to get a response, if anyone's seen that or read that before. So the truth is, is that although keyword search volumes aren't perfect in the tools that are available, they do give you an idea. And so does Google auto suggest. All these different things give you ideas of what's being asked and what's, what people are looking for. So making sure that you're out ahead of that and when you start out creating that content to really answer those questions, um, you know, in terms of how long, because that's always a common question is, well, how long does it have to be? As long as it really needs to be is the answer there. I, I don't think that there is an answer. I mean, for the most part, I never go below 750 words um, in a blog post. And usually it's a little bit more than that. But it, whatever is comprehensive enough to cover that topic. So I think that's a really important thing is doing that. In terms of the, the channel in which you want to do this, it depends because video is obviously a, a lot more difficult. There's more barriers to entry, I think, um, if you're trying to do good video uh, because, you know, yes, you can technically do it on a cell phone, but if you're, if you're trying to actually compete and get to that level with YouTube with the other YouTubers nowadays, it's getting, I'm doing that more myself and it's getting harder and harder. The quality has to go up and up and up. Um, so I'm still a big fan of just blogging and, you know, or, or having someone else create content for you and managing that whole process. Uh, but really the idea of creating content that answers questions that is genuinely helpful. Focus on being helpful. Don't focus on money. Just focus on being helpful and creating that content. People will eventually come. I, my thought was, and the way that I did it with the one-hour professor website and any other website, is always focus on the blog first, get people there, start to develop, develop a following, and then start to you know uh, grow like a YouTube channel or whatever, a second, a second channel to diversify yourself, and you know, obviously make more revenue. So that's kind of been my approach to it. But I definitely would say for me, you know, just making sure that you're answering those questions and really trying to be helpful with people and you know, creating good content is like I said in the beginning too. So you mentioned, uh, you mentioned revenue and you also mentioned in the beginning, um, display ads being a primary source of revenue for a lot of the different uh, ventures that you have. Um, I'm, I'm interested whenever, you know, someone is getting started or at what point whenever you start a new project and you feel like you've got a good direction, at what point do you start trying to monetize the, uh, I guess the project? Do you start right away trying to, to put ads on the side and finding different ways that you can try to extract revenue from it? Or is there a certain uh, threshold that you look at in terms of, I'm going to build it to this point and that's when I'm going to look to try to uh, recoup some of the investment of my time or resources? Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of depends on what what the website structure is and what the website's all about for sure. Um, the way that I've been doing it, generally speaking, is from the beginning, I will do some affiliate marketing, uh, just starting off, usually linking to Amazon or whatever it may be. And again, it depends on the topic of the website. But that would be the one thing that I think is okay from the beginning to do. I personally don't like throwing ads onto a website in the beginning um, because in that beginning stage, you know, your, your focus needs to be on the content, keeping people on the page. Your focus needs to be getting more links and trying to find ways to network and getting people to start to like your website, subscribe to your email list, that sort of stuff. So it gets difficult to have all of that and have so many people, you know, really enamored with your brand if you're just throwing ads in their face and trying to make pennies on the dollar. Um, so, you know, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of that approach, uh, but I am a fan of basically having the affiliate links in the beginning and what I usually say, and this can be a harder fast number, you know, depending on the people, what I usually say is, 
at 10,000 page views per month, that's when I'll start to implement ads on the website. Um, and I'll usually do it very carefully and purposefully with the top five or 10 articles to kind of see where my ad rates end up, how much I'm making per thousand page views. I do that on purpose just to kind of test and see, is this even worth having ads on? You know, it, cause you really have to test. So I'll test Google, I'll test media.net. I use Ezoic to run some, you know, different tests on those articles as well. Uh, so whatever you have to do in the beginning, just to kind of, you know, test everything and see in that small sample size. And then if it looks good, you roll it across the whole website. Yeah. And I would say we echo that as well. And um, one of the things that I think people misunderstand sometimes is, you know, Ezoic for our publishers, people always wonder about getting approved and, you know, a page page view threshold and it being something that's like associated with um, being access to something that's premium. But the truth is, is we actually see that is, is like 10,000 page views is, is really a great threshold for monetizing a site in general. You're going to get a better proxy uh, for what your site's going to make or what your content's going to make because you're going to have enough information there that advertisers know what to bid and things like that. Um, so I, I think that you're, you're right on the money there. I, I'm curious as well. You, you'd mentioned uh, the four hour work week. You mentioned Pat Flynn. I think probably a lot of publishers will be familiar with, with uh, the information that you put out there as well. Um, so I, I think when someone is starting an online business or at least working online as a publisher, um, they sort of kind of tap into these resources like yourself and, and people like Pat Flynn that have been around for a long time. Um, I, looking across kind of all the different experts that you've had exposure to and had a chance to kind of listen to throughout the years, uh, what one piece of advice or strategy stands out that you've learned from someone else? Uh, do you continue to use or something that was meaningful to you throughout your, uh, I guess your online career? So there's been quite a few, obviously over time. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I feel like it's kind of changed as my own uh, business has changed. Um, in the beginning, I think the first thing when, when someone is really starting out is focus on one guru, if you will, focus on one person and fully test out what they're telling you to do and focus 100% on that person, which sounds crazy. But the reason why you do that is because if you start listening to all these different people, you're going to try this strategy, then you're going to this one over here, over here, and that you make no progress at all. Um, so I would say that's the biggest thing. And then probably another big problem that people have in the beginning, which kind of goes to that, but something that I still stick to is once you get a little further along, you start to realize that having too many irons in the fire isn't really a good thing. So although I have seven different websites and people are thinking, oh my gosh, I've got to start seven different websites. That's not at all how it started. Uh, basically, of those seven websites and the one rule I have, a rule of thumb for myself, I'll only work on two projects at a time. So there's seven websites. I'm working on two actively. Uh, well, one of those would be YouTube. That's kind of the way that I'm doing it right now. Uh, so that's not a website. That's a project. So people are probably questioning, well, how is it that I run the other websites? I have a team behind me. And most of that really is on autopilot. The writing is done. There's a copywriter that looks over it. There's a virtual assistant that posts it. I still monitor and get an email every day from my virtual assistant saying, here's what you did today. I look over everything, but that does not take up much of my time. That's how I'm able to do all the projects that I do now. So, you know, I guess when you're starting out, just focus on one person. And once you have some success, don't blow up and start doing a bunch of different things at once. I made that mistake. It doesn't work. You just need to stay focused on specific projects at a time. If you have a team to replace you fully, then you can still monitor it. 
It's interesting. Uh, Doug Cunnington, who I talked to yesterday, had almost the exact same advice in terms of really? he, he, he said it kind of in a different way, but it was basically like, you know, you build a plan and then kind of stick stick with that plan. Be convicted about it because you, it's very easy to start something and say it's not going as fast as I would like and say, well, I'm going to start this too and kind of hedge your bets. And next thing you know, you're working on 10 things and none of them are you know, none of them are really growing the way that you need them to. Yep. And so I'll, I'll ask you kind of a second part to that, which is, you know, at, at what point do you, do you decide, okay, you mentioned having a lot of things on autopilot. I think the, the successful publishers that are independent that I find sort of kind of have that in place where they'll have a lot of different sites and a lot of them they're not managing. Where do you find that kind of threshold to where, okay, uh, now I'm ready to transition to where this one is going to, you know, I'm going to transition the writing to these folks or I'm going to have a virtual assistant. How do you go about making that decision and setting that up? So for me, I mean, the truth is from the beginning, I, I always have my team involved because if I were to try, I mean, you know, if you're starting out and you have to do all the work yourself, that's fine. You know, when you're starting out, that's, really, that's how I started. That's how everyone starts. But once you get a team in place, setting them up and having them uh, helping contribute and doing things, the thing is, because I have a portfolio, right? It's, it's kind of a, a rinse and repeat process. I mean, really with websites, it is. There's a certain formula that you follow to get things done. And for the most part, I will engage my team immediately, but a complete handoff at that point to where it's like, okay, let's hand off and let's start to move on to something new. Usually it takes, from what I've seen, about 10 to 12 months for a website to really start to kind of, you know, get momentum and start to really show whether or not it's going to be successful from what I've seen. So I typically within that time frame, so more within 10 to 12 months, will usually have my team working on it and then kind of just figure out the ways to outsource those last bits and then kind of let go of the reins on it, let them continue to work on it, let them continue to do what they do. And then I will move on and add one more project and then kind of not get rid of that project, but push that project to the side and not focus on it as much and focus on one more. So for me, I think that's the biggest thing is that, you know, when I, whenever I talk to anybody and they're talking about doing this, I always say, are you willing to make absolutely nothing and work 40, 50 hours a week for a whole year? Are you willing to do that? A lot of the times they say, yeah, but they're not. And it doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. I just try to prepare people mentally because I've had websites in six months do really well, but I want people to understand that this is a long haul thing and you grind like crazy in the beginning. But if you stick with it, it can actually work out in your favor. So yeah, usually 10 to 12 months, I'd say is that time in which I'm willing to kind of hand it off. And I think one of the things that's unique right now and why you see kind of what I describe right now is the golden age of digital publishing. And uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting is there's this huge cohort of publishers that, uh, that I know that are sitting on sites that are gold mines, that are big, that have been built over the last decade. And most of them I would describe, and they would self-describe themselves as accidentally successful for that reason that you just stated, which is they usually started a website, you know, a long time ago because they were passionate about it. They had a home, they were a contractor, they started a home improvement website because they enjoyed it. And then next thing they know, they're, you know, getting hundreds of thousands of page views a month. And then, you know, they find out, you know, shortly thereafter that, that's worth quite a bit of money to advertisers. And um, so they didn't ever actually originally start it to make money. And so I think that sentiment is, is, uh, is well described. Uh, I'll ask you one more question. Um, and, it, you know, in the beginning, I asked you about kind of like what strategies have worked well over time. And I guess um, with 
kind of the rapidly changing space that we're in. And then also just kind of the uncertainty that I, I think exists just in the economy in general at the time that we're recording this, you know, when you look into the future and, and no one has a crystal ball, I guess, what, what strategies or I guess what techniques do you look at and you say, hey, I think that this has merit. This is probably an area that's worth exploring or worth uh, some of my time in terms of um, specific uh, strategies or even platforms or, you know, anything that you've got your eye on right now. So it's, it's interesting. So obviously this is an uncertain time. Uh, this too shall pass. I, talk, I keep telling everyone that because people are like freaking out. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's okay. It's going to, you know, I, this always happens every decade because I'm really into financial stuff too. Every decade, something like this happens. It's really bad. It's the end of the world. We always bounce back. So I have no doubt that that'll happen. But um, one of the things that I did prior to this, uh, it was actually the, I believe it was November of 2019. Google had an update. And my main, I call it my unicorn site because that's the one that, you know, has done really, really well compared to others. And no, it's not about unicorns, but you get my point. <laughs> uh, that particular website was hit by a Google algorithm update, not significantly, maybe 10, 15% traffic loss. So it hurt a little bit, but it's not like it, you know, crushed my portfolio or anything like that. But I saw that and I was like, this makes me nervous because, you know, at the end of the day, if that would have been a 50 or 60%, that really could have hurt because that is the majority of the portfolio, a lot of the revenue, not all of it, but a lot of it is derived from that one website. So at that point, I was looking and saying, okay, well, how can I diversify? And what's been interesting is that, and this is kind of to your point here, diversification, I think, is, is a key thing, not just across the websites, um, but for me, it was diversifying and kind of really focusing more on that one-hour professor brand. Um, that's why I've been so active on YouTube. I'm doing three videos a week there. Um, and I'm doing like both financial and online business. And I'm doing that because I've realized that as good as websites are, you know, and I had never been hit by an algorithm before because I try to keep everything high quality and all that. Um, they can still get hit by Google for like almost unknown reasons. Like sometimes it just seems kind of aimless. And you're like, well, why is this one ranking above me now? It's not as good. But we don't really have that, uh, you know, that, that luxury of being able to control that. So my thought was, you know, people can always copy a website. People, you know, Google can always penalize a website. But if you're able to create your own brand using whatever platform you want, you're able to really control your customers, your contacts, all the people who are coming to you and follow you. No one can replicate you. That's the key to the whole thing. So I don't want to, you know, say this and then have everybody go out there and say, I'm going to create my own brand and create an own, you know, make money online website because good luck. You're, you know, it is really difficult in that space. But at the same time, what you need to understand is that obviously diversifying is a good thing. And for me, it was diversifying and really trying to more establish my personal brand because I have readers. I've had them for a long time. And I even have a, I've had a YouTube channel for a long time, but I just wasn't really focused because I was focused on building my portfolio of websites. And then one day I was talking actually Doug Cunnington. I talked to him very frequently, uh, like every two weeks we talk. So we, uh, he was talking and, and my wife had mentioned it too. She was like, you know, at this point you are pretty successful in this space compared to others. And I, honest to God, my head was down working that I didn't really think about it or really realize it. I was like, oh yeah, I guess I am. I, I really do have a lot to say. So then I started to focus on my personal brand. So for me, it's just been diversifying and not just into websites, but also diversifying a little bit away into YouTube so that people really connect with me because I feel like there's a better connection through video than there is through blogging. So that's for me has been the biggest things that I've kind of pivoted on to try to make the business a little bit more uh, stable, you know, at all times. 
I think that's great advice. It's something that Doug and I actually talked about the other day in our, in our previous interview with, uh, as well, where, you know, you look back 10 years ago when Google was, you know, going through the hummingbird and penguin updates and things like that. And people were saying, I'm going to move all of my content over to Facebook and focus on that platform because Google's unpredictable. And then, Oh, how times have changed. You know, now Mm -hmm. Google is viewed as this very predictable form of traffic compared to Facebook, something that's very volatile. So uh, it is really good for publishers to be thinking about that diversity. Um, Ron, what, what else can uh, our publishers uh, do to follow you, to uh, stay in touch, to, to, to get more information uh, from you uh, directly? Uh, Where can they find you? Yeah, so I mean, you can always go to onehourprofessor.com. Um, I have my website there where I give away a free mini course on creating websites and like an online business in general. Or nowadays, my, my biggest call to action, if you will, is just to go follow me or look at me on YouTube. I'm doing three videos a week there and I have 100% committed to doing that throughout the whole year to the end of this year to see how it goes. It's not easy to do, but so far I've been doing it. So I ask that everyone come there and, you know, just listen to the stuff I'm interviewing a lot of people and have a lot of good information to share. Awesome. Well, Ron, we want to thank you for joining us on, on our show today. It's something that we'll, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you before the, the show that we'll, we'll probably have this on across multiple mediums, both audio and video. And so I, I'm sure the audience on all the different platforms have enjoyed and hopefully they've learned something. So thanks again for joining us and um, hopefully we'll catch you again soon and can have you back on multiple other platforms, hopefully under better circumstances and yeah. maybe in the studio next time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So if you, if you haven't already, leave us a uh, review on iTunes. Those things are great. We want to thank you for joining us on another episode of The Publisher Lab.